0: Welcome to the second season of In the Telling, a monthly podcast about the global Black family experience. I'm Miranda.
1: And I'm Stephen, and we are the founders of the Nomadic Archivist Project.
0: Before we begin this episode, we would like to take a moment to announce the winner of the second annual NAP scholarship.
1: Killian Kwame Onai will be using the award to help finance his community archival project, the Lipki Traditional Area Community Archives, and Lipki Koforidua, which is in northern Ghana.
0: We would like to welcome Cheryl Boyce Taylor to the show today. Cheryl is an immigrant poet and teaching artist born in Trinidad and raised in Queens, New York. And she's the author of five collections of poetry. Her most recent collection is a verse memoir, Mama Fife represents about her son, hip hop legend, Fife dog of a tribe called Quest, AKA Malik Taylor. It is a love letter from a poet and mother who suddenly loses her son to type one diabetes. It is a story of loss, love, and courage. Cheryl's work has appeared in Rolling Stones magazine, poetry, Prairie Schooner, and the Chicago Review of Books. She holds an MFA in creative writing and poetry from Stone Coast, the University of Southern Maine. Welcome to In the Telling, Cheryl. It is so nice to have you with us here.
2: Thank you. It's so gratifying to be here. Thank you for inviting me.
1: I'm so happy that you're here, Cheryl. I met you in 2003 and you and I went, I was doing a, a, a profile of you for Lambda Literary Report and we had lunch and we were walking and talking and it was a sunny day, and it was one of my favorite days because I got to meet Cheryl Boyce Taylor. <laughs> and I was very happy. And I've seen you through various incarnations over the years through your books and through your work. And three years later, in 2000, or oh, two years later, in 2005, I published your, your third book of poetry, Convincing the Body. And you yes. were my very first poet and my very first writer on the Vintage Entity Press publishing um, imprint. And I just really want to thank you for that because it was an honor to work with you. Thank regard. you, thank you. And so, um, yeah, I'm glad you're here. I'm really, the, I've heard stories about your family over the years, your mom, your brother, and your son, and your partner. And so it's good to have you here to talk a little bit about them today.
2: Thank you, Stephen. You mean a lot to me and our friendship, whether we see each other every day or once a year, it always picks back up, well, it doesn't even pick up, it just continues. from that point so um we named each other each other's twin that day that first day when we as we walked along talking yes and i told you that i had a twin brother but your energy and your spirit felt like his Mm -hmm. and so we have kept that up and i'm it's just my pleasure to be here doing this work with you
1: family family podcast family stories yes yes thank you thank you
0: So to get us started, um, Cheryl, can you speak a bit about your migration experience, when and why you came to the US and at what age? Um, Also, what were your thoughts and feelings um, during that time?
2: Okay, this is where I'd like to start with that poem that um, begins my journey. And I've only recently written it, but I've written it in different incarnations and different words. And this one is called Immigrant Dreams. And I wrote this maybe about two months ago In looking back, mommy packs my bags with all her best things, her holy Bible, red leather with initials embossed in silver ink, a gold chain from my father with earrings to match, pink frilly socks and purse. I got from Tangi Verna for my 10th birthday, but never wore. Save the new things for America, they say with laugh and pride. Say the new things, you're 13 now, a teenager? We saving it for them. On the morning that I get ready to leave, we rise at 5 a.m. ready for our holy pilgrimage. USA. I narrow my eyes to squeeze out the light. Mommy, there are machine guns going off in my throat. Never mind that. Never mind that. Be grateful. Be happy. How can I stop this incessant ringing in my ear? How shall I scold myself? Do I say shame? Shame for believing in this country or for believing in mommy's dreams. So wow. I, I leave Trinidad at age 13
1: mm-hmm. to
2: come to live with my mother's sister. I don't really know her very well. We see her on vacations when she visits us, but I don't know her all that well. But my mom was supposed to come to New York with me, and on the last minute, the immigration said that she was a nursery school teacher. And on the last day, when we went to pick up the visas, they said they weren't going to give her one because she was needed in the country oh, wow. for for that ele- for that early childhood education. Mm-hmm. So wow. what do you do? You 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 know, in those years, you didn't fight with your the US immigration. They've always been so big. You didn't fight with them. So Mm -hmm. um, my mom had a choice. They told her, and my brother was scheduled to come with us too. So they said only one can go. So my mom decided to send me Mm -hmm. because my brother was older and could take care of himself there. But um, she really trusted her sister because they were both seven-day
1: adventists. Okay.
2: Okay. So she sends me to her
0: sister. And what, what what was that like getting on the plane by yourself when you thought you were going with your family?
2: Um, well, I was terribly broken because my mother passed out in church the day before I left. She just fell out, passed out, and they took her to the hospital in the city, a couple of miles from where we lived. Mm-hmm. And nobody knew what was wrong with her. So my uncle took me to the hospital that morning to say goodbye to my mother. And speaking about that, I still get that lump in my throat Mm
0: -hmm. and that
2: pain all over leaving my mom Mm -hmm. in the hospital. So it was very hard and I wasn't a mature 13. They didn't allow you to be mature in those days. You know, I was tied to my mother's apron strings. And so I, you know, you always did what your mother said anyway in those years. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I went to see my mother and my uncle took me to the airport where my dad was there and the rest of my family. And I said goodbye to them and headed off to New York. Mm. But I remember um, when my mom passed away in 2010 I was just so broken. It was the same feeling. And one day I went one morning getting ready for work. I was in the shower and I heard my mother say, I don't know why you're so broken. She said, I I set this up for you when you were 13 and left me by yourself. Mm. Focus on that. You've always been By yourself, like a little woman. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So I heard my mother's voice saying that. She said, stop, you have to continue. You have to keep going. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yeah, that was the hardest feeling. But um, coming to New York, it started me writing because I would write my mother letters every day begging to come back home. Mm -hmm. It, It was a really, really difficult time. But as I realized it would set me up for the strength later, even the strength now at losing my son. And that's not to say that I don't express my emotions or feel sorrow or sadness, but what I've learned is the way forward. Right.
1: What I love are two lines. I love the whole poem by the way, but the two lines that stuck with me are save the new things for America and believing in my mother's dream, do you know? And so that moment in the shower when you're hearing her, I feel like, wow, this is, she set this up for you, what you just said. Yes, yes, she did. I was thinking about this caretaking sensibility that I've always experienced with you at heart through your words and your actions, your poetry, obviously. Um, In an email exchange, you shared that you were caretaking for your mom at one point and your son at a distance and your own health, among other things. When did you begin taking care of your mom? And can you talk a little bit about what that experience was like?
2: Yeah. um, My mom was pretty independent. She was never married. And although she lived with with family, but she was always the mother to her two children and very independent, making all her decisions alone, her savings, all of those things were the things that she did alone. And so... um, she in in 2006 she died at 85 so i guess maybe she was like 79 or 80 something like that in 2006 and she was not doing well she was forgetting everything she was putting the um i went to her house one day and she had all the brushes you know her hair brushes in a little case in the refrigerator
1: Okay, okay.
2: And the toiletries, you know, toilet paper, soap and everything, sitting nicely on top of the counter. Okay. <laughs> so things had been reversed. I could laugh now, but I was
1: yes. a wreck
2: then, right. you know. Mm-hmm. So I discussed it with, with my kind of partner, because we weren't together at that time. <laughs> And she told me, she said, and, and my mom was living in our house. My mom and I had a house in Queens. Mm-hmm. And she told me, I think it's time for you to um, get rid of the house and um, bring your mother to live with you. Okay. So I found an apartment in Harlem, mm-hmm. got rid of my mother's and my house and brought my mother to live with me. Now I had gotten married when I was 19 so I had been living away from my mother all of that time. So we, we loved, we shared, I visited her, but we really didn't know each other because I had become a different woman. Mm-hmm. And so it was a little difficult living with her. She was jealous of friendships that I had. Anybody who visited me, she, she wasn't so happy. And one day I was having like a little reading in the apartment I shared with my mother. And she stood at the window looking out and she said, I've never seen a girl with so many friends. So many friends. (laughs) I hope they're real. Okay. Wow. So she was always giving me digs like that in in that period of time that she lived with me. (laughs) Comparing... Her daughter-in-law, her son's wife, to my daughter-in-law.
1: Okay. <laughs> was, yeah. yeah. Okay.
2: And the root of it was I would travel to Atlanta and California to help out Malik. Because mm-hmm. Disha, his wife, worked full-time. So under times when he was ill, just coming out of the hospital, I mean, he was always working, traveling. But he, he had his hospital stays as well. Mm -hmm. So when I would travel to help her with him, my mother would be mad because she said, you have your mother, I need your help.
1: Okay. Mm.
2: And so she sometimes pretended to be worse off than she was. Right. (laughs) She had tricks, let me tell you.
0: (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, you talked about your mother being very independent. Did that independence also come with um, a little bit of isolation? Was she lonely? Was that why that she was sort of reacting in that way?
2: Yes, there was some isolation, but mm-hmm. my the house in Queens was a two family and my brother lived on the second floor. Okay. And often he would not even knock on her door to say hello. And that really hurt her. So okay. while she was living, sharing the home, home with her son, he was not really taking care of her. And okay. so for a while, she had been wanting more attention from the two of us. Uh-huh. Right. I lived in Brooklyn. I would go out and spend time with her, but I worked in Manhattan, I worked in Brooklyn. It was just getting harder and harder. And the truth was I was getting older. Yeah. yeah. And so the kind of running I had done before, I really couldn't do so much anymore or I mm-hmm. was trying to make sure that I save some energy because I I am also a type one diabetic. At that time, it was for like over 40 years. So my health was changing quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And so the care that she needed, I needed to put some of that care in myself. mm -hmm. Right.
0: You were juggling a lot. Your own health, your mother's, your son's,
2: And I was in school full-time for my MFA.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes, you were. I remember.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Cheryl, you talked a little bit about your
0: son, um, Malik, who's also known as um, Fife, one of the founding members of the tribe called Quest. And you talked a little bit about his, um, his illness, his diabetes, and that you would go back and forth from New York. And I guess he was living in both California and Atlanta, right?
2: Well, he was living in Atlanta for a long time. And then when he got real, in 2004, he got really ill. And um, he went to live in California with with his wife. They weren't married yet, but um, when he got really sick, I told him, okay, from the time you're 16, I've let you travel and do whatever you want to, but now you're getting sick in this backwards Atlanta and you're not calling me. I'm, I said, we're done with that. I told him this in the hospital. Yo. We're, we're oh. done with that.
1: <laughs> we're done. You
2: are coming home. That's it. And so two days later, he said, no, mom. Um, Disha wants me to come to California with her. And um, okay. that was fine. How were you able to provide that support long distance? Right oh, we, we spoke on the phone all the time sometimes he would call me and i would know he was not well yeah. i think so i think that's something a mother generally does know and um he'd be no i'm fine i'm fine i would be on the next plane that morning okay i did okay. that's that is how, and job it, it didn't matter yeah. i'd call in sick for a couple of days i'd be there taking care of him or or just spending time with him because he was also very independent, Mm -hmm. but um, he was really struggling and he was doing peritoneal dialysis, which is a type of dialysis you do at home with four exchanges each day. Okay. Uh, And he he selected that one because he said, "Uh uh-uh, I'm going on the road. I don't care what I have to do. So he, he had been doing that for a while and I do feel that, that the peritoneal dialysis, all those exchanges and being on the road, not all, often not eating well, I believe that that is what broke his body down faster. I see. Yeah, because when he started um, the dialysis where you go to the hospital or, or the dialysis clinic three times a week, mm-hmm. you could see he, he became stronger. Okay. You could see physically he was stronger. Mm-hmm. So that that, that was um, very hard for him, but it was what he selected mm-hmm. to do.
0: You know, being on the road and, and continuing his work was really important
2: for him. And oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. oh yes. Yeah. He said, oh no, nobody's taken away this that I've worked so hard for, nothing. Right, right.
1: And throughout all of that, you were helping to take care of him sometimes, long distance, short distance, and your mom. Yes. Let's talk about your health. How were you dealing with both, you know, taking care of yourself during this time?
2: During this time, I was take, taking good care of myself. Um, the one thing is I've, I've been a type one diabetic for about 50 years, and I've only been hospitalized once when it was discovered. Now, I did right. have my years of cheating and having cake and having drinks mm-hmm. and <laughs> all those things, of course. But um, I learned early when to stop. Yeah. Okay. I have a glass of wine, I'm done. I, see. You know? mm-hmm. so I Or if I want to have a glass of wine, I'm not having that spaghetti. Right.
1: <laughs> right. <laughs>
2: Uh, So, you know, you, you have to learn how to trade those things off. Mm -hmm. So I would say I have had my years, especially the last 10 years when it was just, it is just difficult Mm -hmm.
1: to manage
2: my diabetes as I'm getting older. But Mm -hmm. um, that was how I managed it through diet. And I wish I could say exercise, (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> that's what my doctor wants me to say yeah, but yeah. through diet and keeping busy and having goals and my writing certainly
1: oh yeah you know
2: and Sini's love definitely
1: Sini yeah. your lovely partner
2: Sini my lovely partner of 24 years wow congratulations <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. of the century. that's pretty
0: amazing you, you mentioned that you had two other poems that you wanted to share with us today. Yes.
2: And this is just an, this is an, more, more of an anecdote from the book. It said Mama Fife represents. Once when Malik was four, his grandmother left 35 cents for him to buy ice cream. When the ice cream truck rolled around, he was already in bed. But knowing how much he loved music, all kinds of music, even the ice cream truck music. I called him out of bed to see the truck. He wanted to go out and get some ice cream, but it was already late and past his bedtime. When the truck, truck left, he stomped into his room angry. I called out to him asking for my goodnight hug. He did not answer. I called him again, still no answer. Finally, I said to him sternly, get in here. Did you hear mommy saying goodnight to you? He said, yes, but I don't speak to people who don't stop ice cream trucks. My grandmother left money for my ice cream and you let the truck go. I was stunned. The only thing I could do was hug him and send him to bed. <laughs> and this is a little precocious boy yes. that uh, whenever I want to smile, <laughs> oh, you know, like after he passed away, I I really kept thinking about all those little anecdotes and mm-hmm. stories and things he used to do at three and four and five. That made me just fall in love with his spirit. Yeah. Because I could never say something like that to my mother. <laughs> <laughs> and Walt and I knew that we did not want to kill that part of him.
1: Yes. Yeah. At all. And I just so, want to say that <laughs> Mama Fife represents is available from Haymaker Books. Haymarket. And, Haymarket Books, excuse me. We'll put a link actually in the um, show notes.
2: So, people can order it. So, this spirit from this child is what taught me so much about my own spirit and recouping my own spirit because I had been brought up in the children should be seen and not heard era. Right. With um, parents that loved you, but they were very punitive because that's how they had been treated. So you can't give something that you don't have. So this, I just loved his spirit and it helped me and it helps me to today. So I have a lot of anecdotes like this in the book. It's what lifted me. And then the other um, short piece that I wrote for my mother was after she passed away. Um, She passed away in 2010. I wrote this in 2013. Dear Mom, Happy birthday to you! Your birthday was always a special day for me. I would always buy you flowers and clothing and some new dessert. Remember the time I brought you? I bought you astromerias with dusty rose, with the astromerias with the huge white petals and the peachy apricot center. I learned later that they were called Pacific sunset hybrids. You loved them so much, they became your favorite flower. You also loved sunflowers and dahlias and roses. I've just returned from the Brooklyn promenade. Today, I bought you butter yellow carnation buds and and a pink grapefruit. It was my plan to celebrate your birthday by sending them to you via the Hudson River. When I arrived at the promenade, I realized that there was nothing but the DQE below and the water was too far away to toss my gifts. So I sat in the sun for hours, mom, admiring nature and feeling close to you and the vast Manhattan skyline. I am back home now and I'm getting ready to make mac and cheese for our dinner. Sini is still my girlfriend, and I live with her now, Mom. Would you believe that? (sighs) I love it. How she's always showed up in my life.
1: I see. When I read your poetry, when I hear your poetry, there are two different experiences. One, I experience it when you're reading it. I I saw the Hudson River. I saw what you bought, the grapefruit and the flowers, and you're sitting there for hours admiring nature and feeling closer to your mom. The woman whose dream you dare to dream, <laughs> you know, to live out, so, yes,
0: yeah. right, yeah. So writing books and traveling and performing are um, seem very essential aspects to your day-to-day life. What made being a writer essential to managing your life?
2: My mom, again, <laughs> always loved poetry. And in Trinidad, it was part of the school curriculum, a very important part. And I remember, and it was even in my school years too. I remember that they would take us out on Tuesday afternoon, right after lunch, like one o'clock or so. We would sit under the trees and you had been previously given a poem to memorize. We would sit under the tree and each child would perform their poem. And my mom had the same thing when she was a child. So my mom memorized long poems and recited them, but she didn't write her own, but she read poems to myself and Malik at bedtime. And so the act of memorizing and reading out loud and later writing has always been one of the things that sustained me the most. And so when I left my mom in Trinidad, again, letter writing, I wasn't writing poems yet, but those letters was what I feel really connected me to her and helped me to hold on to my my Trinidad, which still always appears in my work. The fruits, the the trees, the colors, the flowers, Mm -hmm. all I could actually smell and taste them. And so that has always taken me through my life, Mm. through sadness, through joy, through anticipation and dreams and building dreams. It has always been my writing. And when I lost Malik and I felt so shattered and not present in the world, it was also writing that brought me back to my center, to my dreams right. and to help me to move forward. So yes, it, writing has always been the source. I mean, some people have dancing, they have acting, whatever, singing.
1: Right.
2: My life source and has been writing.
0: Oof.
2: I don't know if that answers your question.
0: No, it, it does. It does. Yeah, yeah
2: absolutely. <laughs> but when I was working and I would take off time to travel with evidence, dance company. Yeah.
0: <laughs>
2: you know, I'd leave the job and I'd be on tour with, with um, Ron Brown. Um, it was always writing that held me through all of those times. The travels, the performing, writing through my health, even, you know, writing about my health being mad at my pancreas (laughs) and writing about it in that way. So.
1: I just feel like, I feel um, speechless in a way because you answer questions so fully, they're like reading, you're like, you know, making poems out of the answers you're giving us (laughs) in this (laughs) conversation. And did you wanna read one more poem before we close out?
2: Yes, I'll read one more poem from the book. Okay. And it's called, Still the Sweetest Words I've Ever Heard. And these are just things that Malik um, called to say to me at different times, Um, or, or things he said to me even when he was very young. Happy Mother's Day, Mom. I made this picture for you, Mom. Grandma is my bestest friend ever. Mom, I'm coming home for your birthday. The album went gold. Be my date for the Grammys, Mom. I found my girl. She reminds me of you, Mom. Her name is Disha. We have a son. His name is David. Mom, I love that little guy. Happy birthday, Mommy. Thank you so much for my laptop. It is the best birthday present you ever gave me. I have been at home all weekend, writing and making music. I swear, I'll never leave the house again. Big ups, sister. Mom, I'm so happy. I am so happy. I'm getting married. Will you walk me down the aisle? Mom? I love you, go on tour with me. You and Cini move to California with me. You're getting kind of old, <laughs> but I mean good old. That was amazing, that was really lovely. Thank
1: you, thank you. I love the fact that you <laughs> proclaimed all these moments, you know, and put them in this work, because when I read it, I cried as well. Oh. Yeah, it was quite, it's quite touching.
0: Thank you, and I can all, yeah I can hear him in like all of it. I feel like in all of his ages, saying this to you, and then also feeling it oh, from Oh, I'm so glad from that's your, what
2: I wanted. Yeah, yeah. It's it it floats through time, and that right. I and that his grandmother was his bestest friend ever. Yeah, so sweet. <laughs> yeah. yeah, of course, cool. if he lived in New York, we would have our fight there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> right
2: yes but one of the yeah. things was that he was away so much and so everything was precious every phone call was mm-hmm. precious every text every letter
0: right Daryl, thank you again for <laughs> taking the time to talk and share with us today it's really been wonderful mm-hmm. to to just hear from you to hear you read your poems um yeah. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it.
2: Well, thank you both so much. I really appreciate talking with you. It's made my day.
0: This is our last episode for the season. So join us for season three, where we will exclusively feature the stories of Black genealogists.